I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. No, you're very welcome along to the Huddle Breakdown. Mind the Gap is the name of this show today because the gap is narrowing. Celtic have won their first game in what seems like a couple of years. It was a couple of couple of weeks more more realistically. But Hibernian, nil, Celtic, two. Ange Ball is back. The three Japanese players that signed in the January transfer window got a run out, two of them starting. And it is just exciting times at Parkhead. Alan Morrison and James are with me as always. Guys, how are you doing? All right. Hiya. I, I, I may be post-COVID. I'm I'm uh, on pins and needles. So I've been, I dealt with COVID over the last week and I think I've emerged um, fatter, uglier, but uh, hopefully with less viral shed. <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> oh, yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Oh Jesus! I'm quoting my wife. I'm quoting my wife on that. So you'd have to ask her. She wants all that. Not me. Okay. Yeah, I'm not arguing with that. <laughs> Neither of you. She had been thrown in the huddle breakdown. Perfect. <laughs> so listen, it was a long time coming this game, and it's fair to say the first 45 minutes didn't disappoint, and the second 45 minutes, you know, we'll we'll, we'll leave that behind us in terms of the. The memories of the year, but we'll we'll start off with the the broad point of the game. I think this was this was a different type of performance that we've seen here, Alan. And I've seen you writing about this earlier on today. And I mentioned the term "ange ball" in the uh, intro. There is there a sign of things changing a little bit with what Ange Postecoglou is trying to do with the Celtic team? Yeah, I don't know if it's changing really. It may just be in circumstances, and 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 actually, again, I suspect we need to redefine what Angebol is. I think Angebol is more of a state of mind than a, an adherence to a particular. It's just yeah, it's just it's just a it's a set of principles and a framework. You, you, you knew I was going to say that, right? It's a framework. It's not it's not a sort of you will always play this way at all times. I don't believe that. It really isn't. It, it's it's more of a set of, as I say guiding principles for the way the game should be played, and uh, which you know 
but but as I think, as I said in my article that I wrote today, the, the I suspect with Postacoglu, the overriding principle is to win the bloody game. So, and that's what Celtic did with minimal um, threat, actually, uh, towards the end. So job job done. And also, I mean, what surprised me is I did watch, uh, obviously, the, the game on Tuesday, Monday, and also the game on Tuesday. Uh, I was kind of surprised at how all the teams that I saw lost have lost a bit of fitness, match fitness over uh, the last three weeks. All the teams looked a bit leggy. I think in Celtic's case, again, it's another new starting eleven that hadn't been playing together before. Some players that hadn't played, the Japanese lads that hadn't played since probably early December. It was their first game. And, uh, and, and the, yeah, just a little bit of... Um, a little bit of a few players just out of touch, uh, whose rhythm just wasn't there. I'm going to pick on Callum McGregor and, and Tom Rogic, whose who's rhythm and, and, and just the timing just wasn't there. The timing of passes, the timing of decisions was just a little bit wonky. Not not bad games, just a little bit rusty almost. Um, and add that into the mix with new players who put in an awful, you know, awful amount of, of effort obviously initially in that first 45 minutes and then it kind of gradually tailed off. I think it just a bit of a combination of, of that. And then you add into the mix playing a team who who themselves are going through a, an absolute transformation in the way that they're playing in, in Hibs. Um, and you've got to add that into the mix. And I think that had a big impact on the game. I mean, Hibs were clearly hell-bent on keeping possession for as long as they possibly could. Uh, and as I said on Twitter, no, no team since Hearts in 2016, so you know five years ago, Nearly six years ago, have actually out-possessioned Celtic in a in a domestic game of any of any sort at, at Celtic Park. So that was quite a, a noteworthy um, uh, kind of event in itself. And and you can see that the Hibs players are, are learning Maloney ball, if we can call it that. Uh, and, and, and you know, and Maloney and and and, and you know, they, they they coughed up a goal after three and a half minutes trying to play the ball out from the back. Uh, so, you know, they've got a lot to learn as well, and they haven't necessarily got the players for it. I mean, the guy, Boucheri, looks a big, solid uh, kind of defender, but is he going to be spraying the ball 30 yards up the pitch? Hanlon's one that likes to get it and ping it into channels as opposed to a more nuanced sort of style. So they're 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 learning, I think, as well. So that all added. And in the second half, we let I think we let them have the ball, frankly. I mean... Just to give you one stat on that, which which is quite interesting to me, if if nobody else, was that um, to say that Hibs had more passes than any other team that we've played this season, bar Leverkusen, and had more possession than any other team at Parkhead since, as I say, for six years, they actually packed less Celtic defenders. They took less Celtic defenders out the game than than virtually any other team this season. They they would have been fourth worst than that. So they had a huge amount of possession, but they never, they rarely, apart from in the first few minutes, uh, actually got beyond Celtic's defence. So, yeah, very, very odd game, very interesting game. For me, I I found it fascinating. Uh, But, yeah. Yeah, there was loads going on, and mm. the the Hibs Hibs very much strike me as a team in transition. That yeah. you know they've their 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 sole uh, purpose at the minute is to keep possession, and I, I eventually those progressive passes will come. I I do believe, but at the minute they're like, okay, we need to pass here and pass here, and they're developing their system. But Celtic, like you said, there was a couple of sketchy moments. Not not even mention mentioning the Nisbet chance in the first half. But uh, in the first couple of minutes, even there was a couple of moments when, you know, Rio Hatate was bumping into Cal McGregor and he was getting in the way of, of Greg Taylor on the left hand side. And it, it was just signs that maybe 
they're adjusting to this new thing. But then eventually, after the goal went in, it clicked and Celtic started to control the ball and create chances and, and press Hibs and, and really uh, stamp their authority on the game. J- James, your early thoughts on uh, what Celtic tried to do in that first half, what they were trying to implement and, and I, I guess how well they did it. Yeah, I, I have largely the same impression from Alan. I think uh, some stats I can offer to provide some context. So um, I think Hibbs is fascinating. We were fascinating, and it, the interplay was very, uh, very fascinating. So Hibbs, if you look at their um, OBV, which is the stats bomb metric I've been talking about frequently since I got access to it a couple of months ago, is um, so its components are – uh, passing, uh, defensive actions, dribbles and carries, shooting, so shot, and then goalkeeping. So, and then you add those up and it comprises the, the overall team OBV. So basically what it does is it tries to model and measure every single action and whether it helps your team score a goal or hurts your team score chances of scoring a goal. And then the opposite, this is where it, it offers a little bit better probably metrics for de- defending is, okay, you know, how do you balance out something where you make a good defensive play versus when you screw up and you actually increase the odds of the opponent scoring, right? So that's kind of the, the framework here. So um, there's been two opponents this season that have had a negative OBV against Celtic in the game. The first was St. Mirren <laughs> when we beat them 6-0 and they had an early sending off. Uh, and then Hibs. And not only was Hibs OBV negative, they were negative in four of the five components. The only one that they had a marginal positive was goalkeeper. Okay. So that to me screams of a clean, a team that uh, is, is doing something new and was not very good at it combined with, uh, and then the reason why I say that may be a, a seminal part of the game is so Celtic did try to do a lot of things different and, and Alan posted in, uh, you know, Maeda was a, a, an expected revelation, shall we say, with his pressing. You know, we talked about it. We kind of all expected this. It's always fun to watch it. Um, but as a team, Celtic had 142 pressures, okay? Uh, for the season average, including that game, is 105, okay? Uh, counter pressures were about the same. So 28 versus a season average of 28.38. The issue was that regains. So how many times do the pressure actions actually result in getting the ball back? Okay. Uh, 23 regains versus an average of 21.33. So a marginal uptick, but nowhere near proportionally uh, to the increase in actual pressures. That's a lot of effort, isn't it, for not much gain? <laughs> exactly. And yeah. and ca- counter pressures were actually only one versus 3.05 season one average. So I would say um, a lot of what we were trying to do, to Alan's point, you've got different cogs in the machine now, Um, not a lot of time to get settled. Um, You had Forrest on the left. You know, I I don't think we've ever mistaken him for a force relative to pressing. Um, So this is what we've talked about, the Jenga analogy and the idea of the system and how the pieces fit together. And I think you had more pieces playing Ange ball, but it was very kind of lumpy. 
and mm. and and it let it it allowed a lot of space that a better team or a team that wasn't playing a new system poorly uh may have capitalized on more you know you had a lot of those kind of reversal balls into space where it just took out as alan said they're their um their packing scores weren't great and i think a lot of that had to do this just they weren't very good at it it's not that there weren't opportunities there wasn't space um it's just you know they 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 weren't up for the challenge at this point in their migration and maybe the you know maybe it's a mistake what maloney's doing i mean i don't know i don't know hibs well enough you know do they have the players to be playing that that uh that type of style of play certainly against uh you know celtic you could question the sanity of that um so I, I think that, so when I kind of shake it all out, it's Hibs playing a new way, not doing it very well at all. And then Celtic migrating towards pure Ange ball, which is, you know, what we have talked about is more progressive uh, initial pressing, right? That's the piece that hadn't been there. The counter pressing had actually been good and getting better. That's one area that we really started to improve even guys like Turnbull and, and Rogic um, and, and, you know, so we, we definitely went more in that direction. It's just it didn't really work that well uh, outside of the goal. Yeah. I mean, the, the goal was more of a counter pressure, I think, um, that uh, might as early goal. Um, so obviously it only takes one for a goal. But uh, mm-hmm. uh, so that that's kind of how I, I think about it and balance out the two parts of and it was. That's why it was fascinating to see all this kind of get put into a box and shake it up and see what the hell would happen. Yeah. Uh, and, and actually, actually, sorry, just jump into it. And actually, the second goal uh, was the result of a, a, an early, very quite aggressive vertical pass from Taylor. Uh, really yeah. great, great pass actually from Taylor from a central position. Was tremendous, tremendous. Inverted yeah. into Abada, who took it really well actually, and and that just caused chaos. Um, that which is another feature that we've seen uh, laterally in the team. That that sort of more aggressive vertical forward passing. Um, so yeah, so if you were you know if you're the coach and you're taking the positives to coin the cliche, you look at both goals. You say, "Yep, well that that's because of the way we, we want to set up and play." But you know, did you do it over ninety minutes? No, nothing, not, not even close. Mm-hmm. Mark Duffy in the comments is actually doing my job for me. He's saying to like and subscribe. <laughs> so thank you for that, Mark. But uh, Mark, submit your board, CV, Mark. Mark. Yeah, yeah, submit your CV, gonna, Mark. We may have to replace yeah, just, this guy. We've got a space on just, the screen. We can fit another one in. Come on, Mark. <laughs> exactly. Do do as Mark says. If you're watching on YouTube, do like the video and subscribe as well. If you're not subscribed, where you'll get the huddle breakdown, you'll get other videos as well. And we will have a video on the Celtic new boy who hasn't been announced yet, uh, Matt O'Reilly, who's joining the club from uh, MK Don. So that'll be available on the channel whenever it is eventually announced. It seems like it's going to be dragging on for about another couple of hours before they eventually put up a photo of him with a Celtic jersey. Before we get into the actual um, the individual performance, I just want to ask one more question on your, uh, your pressing uh, take there, James. So uh, let's say, for example... Uh, we don't have that much uh, success when with the, with the press, but that one example of the goal happens, and that comes from the press. So a success for the press is winning the ball back, but is uh, how often does that lead to a goal, or how often does that lead to lead to a chance? Is is sort of the question I'm getting at? Is is one goal from one press and countless other uh, failed presses? not a good success rate 
Yeah. So I, honestly, I, off the top of my head, I don't know on a percentage basis what it would be. I do know that there's plenty of uh, analysis that, um, and again, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, if you recover the ball within 10 seconds, uh, that, that goal was a perfect example, right? So you, you recover the ball and then that's the point at which an opposition defense is least set up, least organized, and you get gaps and potential mistakes and, you know, that kind of frenzy. We talk about transitions a lot. Um, so, uh, within 10 seconds and I, I, and I believe it's, um, I don't think that's linear, meaning that if, if you're able to shoot within five, it's more than just, you know, tw- twice as good as 10. You know what I mean? Like the, the faster you're able to put together a counterattack or win possession in the final third via press or counter press and then shoot, particularly from central areas, then your, your probabilities go way up, way up to, uh, from scoring. Um, so I, I don't know specifically what the calculus is off the top of my head as yeah. far as numbers. Yeah, yeah. But again, this comes back to systems, right? So ultimately, the more you're pressing, because again, if you're, if you're, if you're pressing and you're not being successful, then that creates transition vulnerabilities for yourself. Right. So that's, you know, the flip side of that is that guys get out of position, potentially there's more space to capitalize on. Um, and because you're farther forward, you know, um, you get more vulnerable to, to, uh, uh, to, to the opposition progressing the ball. So, um, as we said, Hibs were dreadful at it. And I think some of that was because of how good we, we're pressing as well. I mean, in that, you know, it's not all about these event data, you know, there's, there was, there was good closing down of space. They had a real difficulty um, identifying passing lanes. And, and again, how much of that was because of lack of familiarity in the system, lack of experience playing that way, lack of skill set fitting with the uh, players compared to what we were imposing on them. That's impossible to kind of decompose, but um they're all it's all probably part of the mix it's just a question of what the relative weighting would be um yeah so so i think so i think james should accept the challenge of being set some homework to come up with a a model for evaluating a framework and model for evaluating the uh the the, you know the the benefits of what what good looks like from a good pressing performance in that sense but i think as well and there's going to be some subtle subtle pieces around just just messing up and disrupting what the other team's trying to do. So if you think about the number of times that Maeda uh, pressured Macy and just messed up his kicks and just forced him to kick inaccurately or forced him to kick out wide as opposed to maybe he wanted to go down a channel, you, you've just disrupted the opposition. You you might have forced a header and the ball goes out in the halfway line as opposed to their, them getting possession on halfway, for example. So, you know, these are little subtle subtle things that, that, that can happen. I mean, there was one great press that Maeda did, and actually Macy pinged it <laughs> perfectly out to a guy on the right wing. And this is the danger from pressing, is that if everyone follows the trigger correctly, you're actually really exposed if somehow they manage to get out of it and ping a beautiful ball 50 yards, because suddenly this guy's in space. So there can be downsides as well. Even though you've pressed effectively, you've actually got a bad outcome. And that's the that's yeah. the, the the risk element of it as well. So yeah, it's it's not a it's not an easy uh, easy thing to quantify. I would say. Mm-hmm. So let's get the give the people what they want, and that is <laughs> some Rio Hatate content. So, uh, I mean, I thought we were going to get sacked then. <laughs> <no>. <laughs> Listen, it's it, it's been talked about as potentially one of the best debuts uh, for Celtic in in recent memory. Uh, I can't remember 
personally seeing a player take to the field for and and be so dominant and and perform to the level that we like we've been told he he really is on on the first day in his job so Alan, have you got your numbers done up on on Rio Hotate from this game and the impact that he had? So this is fascinating because, like, I, you know, it sounds like everybody else. I was sat watching the game, thinking, "Oh my God, we found a Paul Scholes!" <laughs> like, really, this is really exciting. He just looks, he plays like Paul Scholes. How exciting is that? You know, it's like pinging long balls, trying aggressive, quick passes. You know, driving into space, his ability to find space, both with a run and a pass, and his positioning. You know, his challenges, he was in there. He was all over the place, all over the pitch. Yeah, it just looked super exciting. And then you, I actually looked at the numbers. You sort of thought, actually, you know, he didn't really excel in, on any metric. And I was mm. really surprised people, I imagine. But let me, let, before people kind of think I'm going to be contrary here and start throwing their arms up in the air, let me just, you know, reel this back a bit and, and, to, and give you a bit more of a nuanced answer to that. So if you look at his performance and look at, um, across a range of, of uh, performance metrics, so covering creativity, defending, and attacking. Right, he was he was ranked only. He was actually twelfth on pass completions. He actually gave the ball away on six of his first eleven passes, which probably nobody remembers. But he gave the ball away a lot in that first sort of twenty minutes, and then he settled down. Um, but it, overall, he was only seventy eight percent for his passing. Um, but then he, you know, he he actually provided three key passes, which was top in in the squad. The only metric he was top in was providing three key passes. But his expected assists was only fourth best, which tells you that the, the, the chances he created weren't particularly good quality chances. <coughs> Excuse me. Then if you look at defending, he was actually fourth overall in defensive action success, and he was third in number of successful challenges, which with, with seven. Um, so you know, pr- pretty decent. Uh, his packing score, he was only sixth in the team, um, which surprised me. Um, that does surprise was... me because I remember watching him and thinking he's picking out a, a really yep. smart pass. Only time. third. <laughs> only third. In well, the a couple, couple of the ones that looked like they were going to be genius got intercepted. So yeah, they, they did. They, some of them didn't right. make it. You, yeah, you, that, you, that, you loved, fair, you loved, yeah. you loved the, uh, the ambition, even if the outcome wasn't perfect. So he was, he was fifth in pack passes and sixth in packing score overall. He was fourth in possessions in the box, and he was fifth in expected goals, and he was third in overall category score. So I'll pause there because who does this remind you of? Who did I say to you a couple of weeks ago? You look across all the metrics and you see somebody who's never top of any of them, but he's always third, fourth, fifth in every single one across the pitch, and that was Ryan Christie. So if, if you and I'm not, so if you want to see, if you want a, a, a almost a facsimile of a Ryan Christie performance, that, that that was it in terms of you know he gave the ball away a lot, he tried things you thought well, it wasn't really on, was it? But he he contributed defensively, he contributed creatively, he contributed to goal threat. He wasn't the top at any of them. But, he, but but across the board, if you want to look at an all rounder, um, that's exactly what he gave. So I think that 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 that's, that that made me very happy, and and I think as I say, my my conclusion about Hatati was that he he played with expanded horizons. Is what I want to say. He played as if there was possibilities all the time, and I love that. He, you know, he, he always thought there was a there was a, a great ball on. He always thought he could beat his man. He always was thinking positively, and that mindset and that attitude allied to the work rate that he put in. I think is is really encouraging. 
Yeah. I dare say he would prefer your analogy to Paul Scholes than to Ryan Christie, but I, I see what you're doing with with it as well. And I, I definitely see the, the, the comparison to, to both of them in the, in the style of play. And to be fair, it's much more accurate than the BBC's descri- description of Nakamura, which it was just, <laughs> I mean, it was just... The, Pick the lowest common denominator between them. And... Dogs, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what? I, I, that was ridiculous. But I, I always, I, I, you know, we all have older. How, how old is Chick Young now? I mean, right, he's ancient, right? You know, I always, I have a tough time hammering older people that are way up there. <laughs> being stupid. We're just being stupid, culturally stupid, right? I mean, you know, my parents are in their mid seventies, and you know, God love my mother from Clyde Bank. She says the most inappropriate stuff sometimes. And it just, you're just like, mom, come on. But, <laughs> you know, it's just a different age now, shall we say. Yeah. But, yeah. I, so the, um, I, I, I actually want both of your feedback, but particularly uh, Alan's relative to uh, kind of the breadth. Because uh, I, I remember one of, the, one of the first pieces I actually read on your site was, um, after I discovered it was uh, on Encham coming out of the 17-18 season. And uh, that, that was kind of the first when I'm thinking about, okay, comps. You know, I always like the comp and benchmark when I do these kind of things. So that, that was when he was like fit and firing, playing in that kind of dual pivot. Because, you know, Hattat, that's the, the part of the, uh, the, the uh, Christie analog that I, I think Hatati has that doesn't the Christie didn't really was that kind of range of passing from deep. Yeah. Uh, so a lot a lot of Christie's is kind of around the box and he has, you know, he's had incredible touch and vision and creativity in that regard. Um but he he's not one from you know 50 yards out to be going yeah, true. diagonal. So when in Cham was at his absolute best playing in that which he was not that long and he did not play in that role very frequently other than that season. That, that was kind of the, the analog that I was thinking of um, mm. b- because he kind of the same way. He wasn't, uh, you know, he was more of a spatial so, defender. He wasn't dominant yeah. in duels, but um, yeah. ath- athletic it, uh, and mobile. So yeah, sorry, James. I think on, on that on that point about range of passing, uh, I would say yes. But the thing with Encham was Encham was excellent at, at that. It's a great skill. He He broke lines. His range of passing was good. He didn't do a lot defensively. He didn't threaten the goal very much. Hatati was way more rounded in in that Christie way of his. But this, the, the, I think the seven duels won and the two two lost was the standout stat for me of his. But as I say, none of his stats were were stood out really. It's when you looked across the range and you looked at the narrative of this guy has just contributed to all the boxes. He's gonna sp- he's gonna fill my spreadsheet. All the way across, which I love. <laughs> that's that's yeah. really where the value was. Yeah, in my, I just, in my just, the attitude, just the attitude he brought to the game was just fantastic. Yeah, yeah. My, in my post-match analysis, I I know Fat Mob data isn't exactly the most scientific, but I was I was quite surprised. See, he had only twenty nine completed passes by the end of the show, uh, by the end of the game. But uh, I guess a, a, a better way of looking at it as well is when you look at the heat map that's been published. Uh, in in the meantime, where he literally was everywhere on the pitch at some point in the game, he was he was uh, an all action midfielder throughout the throughout the game. I now again, my memory is still a little bit hazy of this because I was quite young at the time, but I would have put him more as a Stan Petrov style uh, midfielder, where he was capable of doing the 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 deep and dirty stuff as as well as being really creative. So that's that's the 
sort of slot that I have him him in so far from on on first look. And another player who got his debut for Celtic was Dizan Mieda, who started up front, got his first goal as well after three and a half minutes. Uh, James, I know you've been looking at some uh, new pressing data for for Mieda and and things of that ilk. I guess that's what we're looking at with Mieda. Um, potentially as the speedster up front who's going to press the hell out of the opposition. Yeah, just relentless. Um, Speed and motor, when you combine those two, um, and and that intensity and that that desire to uh, just keep doing it. So, yeah, I mean, I I haven't, um, you know, basically just have access to um, SPFL and then uh, Europa League and then early Champions League uh, metrics for this season with StatsBomb. Uh, so I haven't done a full study as far as, you know, f- um, 40 combined pressures and counter pressures. Intuitively, that just sounds like an insane number based off of the, the other uh, numbers that I've seen, um, particularly in a team that's, you know, uh, not with 30% possession. You know what I mean? It's not. It, it's it's not like uh, we we were completely dominated from a possession perspective, where we would spend most of the game defending uh, and trying to put pressure on. So yeah, he, he, it, it's a it's a different animal, even even more so than Kyogo. Uh, and I think Alan posted on hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow! Did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com/acast and use code acast for twenty percent off your first purchase. That in his post today uh, to put that into perspective. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's exciting to think about um, when and if they're able to play together. What, what that might look like uh, as far as, you know, defending from the front, as we've, we've, we've talked about before. Alan, is there anything that you've seen from doing your own stats on media that, that stands out? I mean, it, it, it is that, but, and, it, and it's really, it's really fascinating watching a player like him because I'm completely reevaluating in my own head what, what I think a striker is and what a striker does. Cause if I tell you that he actually was only in possession 13 times 
and yet he had 33 pressures, which meant he was closing down sprints. So 33 times he's sprinting to close people down. He only got the ball 13 times. So, you know, he's spending nearly three times the amount of the, in the game, not even not even making diagonal runs, you know, the, the classic striker off the ball movement. His, 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 his movements and his sprints and his effort is virtually all defensive. That's just quite incredible, I, I, and I'm still kind of trying to process that really as to what that that means, and 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 you know, <laughs> so I'm so I'm going to be one definitely one to uh, to ponder, and there might be an element a little bit of you know debut and trying to impress. I mean, Kyogo averages just about 15 pressures a game, so 33, okay. and he didn't even, he only played 74 minutes, right? He, he, he can keep that up. I mean, it's just going to be uh, exhausted, you know. He, I mean, he only completed—he completed nine out of ten passes. That's quite good, but he only touched the mm. ball twice in the box, uh, and you know, one one pack pass. I mean, this is like economy, like economy on speed. This really, in terms of the, the amount of what he's contributing on the ball to the team, is the absolute minimum. And yet, you know, he's he's adding value in in other ways. So. You know, if you spoke to like a Gary Lineker or an Ian Rush, if I'm, I'm picking, these players you probably don't even remember, uh, end of older older people will know sort of great strikers from the, the sort of British game from years gone by. They just, I mean, Ian Rush actually was very good at pressing before it was called pressing. <laughs> but, um, you know, they, it's, 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 or, or even like Scotland fans will remember, you know, Joe Jordan or even players like Steve Archibald and people like that. It's just a different. It's just a different way of playing the game. So uh, it's fascinating, but um, yeah. I'm just keen, keen to see how it how it develops. Really, uh, um, but I, could you could you actually have him and Kyogo in the same team? I mean, someone's got to kick the ball. <laughs> yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it develops. I actually do not remember Gary Lineker or Ian Rush as players. I wasn't born when Gary Lineker shot himself at uh, at <laughs> 90s, so that'll tell you uh, how much I remember of Gary Lineker. Before we move on to the the second half performance, which I think is actually quite interesting, and there's a, a couple of different theories that you could draw from that second half performance. I want to mention Carl Starfelt, who has come under quite a bit of criticism um, over the last couple of weeks. Alan Stubbs, quite critical of him in an article as well. And I mean, we did a, a, a piece last week on the defenders and he was one of the weakest in, in the team. So I've seen a lot of reaction to this game in terms of the Starfelt performance and how amazing it was. Now for me, I, I'm not being facetious for the sake of being facetious here, but I thought he was grand. I thought he was fine. It was a, it was a good performance. He was confident at, at times. He got got himself involved in quite a number of duels. And I think he won pretty much all of his duels. I could be wrong on that. But, I mean, I, I didn't think he was an absolute, you know, Rolls Royce of performance from, from Starfelt. So uh, how did he how did he see, uh, come up in the numbers? Like, what, what was his performance like? So um, I'll be the hitman, Alan. Since you, since you share the name with Stubbs, I'll go first. Um, so I actually I have a piece that's going to come out. I don't know if it's tomorrow or um, early next week, but I've, I've already done the work and written it and submitted it. But um, basically looking at the defensive line, so kind of the average defensive action distance from goal, there's a metric in stat bomb, uh, and, and then also the average distance that passes are made. So you can think of that as, you know, how, how far away from goal are, are 
each player when they do certain things on average. Averages are not perfect. There's distributions, blah, 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 you know, all the usual caveats. Um, and what's interesting is, is uh, Starfelt's level of uh, defending OBV. It's, again, this metric that measures the value of each defensive action and then rolls it up into one number for the whole game, including times that he screws up or, you know, so good things, bad things, weight it all up and then go back. So if you look at his um, performances above the average for the season, so when when he's been higher up the pitch on average, i.e. playing a high line, uh, his OBV has been negative six out of seven games. Um, and it was negative marginally. It was barely negative. It was negative against um, Hibbs. And uh, I believe that was outside of a game like, you know, St. Marin when we were just onslaughting a team that was packed in with a man down. Uh, I believe it was the highest line that we've played a kind of average distance for for both center backs, or if not, it was towards the the very high end. Um, so as has been kind of typical with him, I think he, he does a lot of things well, a lot of things in volume well, meaning that his his dual rate was actually good. He won 15 of 21 duels overall. Uh, he had five interceptions. Again, we've talked about this in the past as it pertained to Brown, right? Those, those interceptions always kind of stick in our minds for confirmation bias because they stick out so much, right? We remember those. Um, but it's the, the other ones that we oftentimes don't remember. And that's where something like this OBV, I think, can really be helpful in, in measurement. So um, when you kind of weighed it all out, his defending performance was not great wasn't horrific. I mean, he's had much worse. Let's put it that way. He's had more glaring mistakes, uh, like in the first Hearts game, you know, which was his, probably his worst of the season. Uh, understandable, again, empathy on that because he was just kind of thrown in. But uh, the, the other part is that his passing consistently does not do that much. And that was, again, his his, his amount of OBV and passing was, you know, not, not, not – it was actually below his season average, which, again, because he was playing a higher line – Closer to goal, you know, uh, if you map these things, it makes common sense that uh, your passes closer to the opponent's goal is going to have, um, sorry, uh, is going to have more of an impact relative to scoring, chances of scoring because of distance, really. Um, and even that for him doesn't really hold up. That, that relationships that you would expect is partly what I wrote in, a, in this article. So, um yeah, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad performance. wasn't a terrible performance. Uh, it was kind of a eh, performance relative, statistically speaking. Um, yeah, and he didn't have any major errors that led to anything significant, uh, which you know is probably I would say uh, from an impression perspective, the people that want to root for him and that want the narrative that he's going to be good and fine. Uh, there was ample evidence to confirm that bias and. You know, for people that want to be negative on him, you know, he gave the ball away once kind of ridiculously in the attacking half. And, you know, maybe he didn't cover a runner as well as he could in one case. You know what I mean? There's always these things that you can pick out. Um, so I, it would not be one that I would profile and say this is, you know, Starfelt being bad. And it also wouldn't be one where I'd say, like, this is the epitome of what Starfelt can be playing a high line as a center back. Yeah. I, and I mean, I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing that people are – 
actually enthusiastic about what he's doing and actually getting behind him because who knows the confidence that he knows that he's being backed by the Celtic fans could actually play into him um, having better performances on the let's pitch. Let's hope so. so yeah, let's exactly, hope. exactly. Everyone wants him to play well, so hopefully he 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 can actually up his performances. I will also say in his defense, a couple of times, and I don't want to hammer Greg Taylor because I, I feel bad about, about ever hammering Greg Taylor. But this is I, your I, secret I, Liam I, Scales agenda manifesting. Yeah, it is. It is complain. absolutely. I'm, I'm fighting Liam Scales' corner. No, I, I really do think that Greg Taylor Taylor leaves him high and dry at times with his positioning because. I mean, the Nisbet goal is the prime example of that, where Greg Taylor's just miles up the pitch, nowhere to be seen. And there's this massive hole at left back where they were able to exploit. And I just don't think that does him, doesn't do Starfeld any favors who's going to have to go and cover that hole. I think Boys Analytics actually, um, Ross um, from Boys Analytics actually chronicled some of that with the thread where some, some of this has to do, I think, with just Taylor not being that fast. So his recovery speed was, as Ross documented there, um, I think it was McGregor smoked him and got back and Hitate as well. Uh, so, you know, we've talked about this. I mean, Taylor just doesn't have some of those raw athletic characteristics that, you know, he's, he, at his age, he's probably not going to get sprint faster. Uh, you know, he's, he's probably about as fast as he's ever going to be at, at, at the age he's at. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not the person to talk about the positioning issue. Allen's going to be much better at that. I mean, there's, you know, we've, we've talked about the inverted aspect of, of uh, the fullback play at times where they're going to get the being exposed on the flanks. And again, this, this comes back to suitability of your center backs because Starfelt's not pacey either. Um, so, you know, playing the system this way, and this has been my concern is as we adopt more of this style of play, there's going to be more transitions. Um, and Oh, by the way, as bad as Hibs were, they still had, I think, uh, 0.79 xG, which again is not—it's not a huge problem, but that is a good bit higher than what we've been allowing, conceding. Uh, a good chunk of that was from open play, obviously with that Nisbet attempt that he, you know, <laughs> normally you would expect somebody to score that. Um, so, I, you know, we're, we're probably going to see more of this. That—that's my concern, given the pieces that we have to play in, in the puzzle. Yeah. Sean F is saying that Hatati could be an option at fullback, but wouldn't like to move him out of midfield. Judging on the piece that he, he wrote himself, actually about moving across the water. I don't think he wants to move back to fullback, but the sense of it, he, he <laughs> big, big time sees himself as a midfielder and an attacking midfielder at that. And would recommend going and, and reading that piece. If you want to get a, a feel for what kind of person and what kind of player he sees himself as. Um, the second half, Alan, it's an interesting one because I think it's something that Celtic haven't done against any opposition, really, be that in the Europa League or or in the SPFL this year. And that's just surrendering possession. They just didn't press. They didn't really care all that much about holding on to the ball. They were very much happy with... Hibs passing the ball around. Now, my theory on that is that they weren't really afraid of what Hibs were doing. Hibs weren't creating much chances. They weren't playing progressive passes. They were playing back and forth football for, for large parts of it. So why bother waste your energy when you're 2-0 up and you can contain them this way without holding on to the ball? So I don't know if you buy into that theory. 
Well, the human beings and and human beings will generally take the path of least resistance. So, if you can get a good result with by putting in minimal effort, then guess what? That's what you're going to do. Certainly, what I'd do. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a bit of that. It's just normal, like you say. I think I think you make a very good point, and you and you articulated it very well, which is that Celtic didn't feel uh, that that by letting letting Hibs have the ball, they didn't feel like there were there was a great deal of um, jeopardy in the game, and therefore they were quite comfortable to just keep keep a shape. And keep a discipline, and then see what happened uh, on any transitions that did come along. So, if, and fair enough, you know, two nil is fine. I think there's probably helped by the fact that, as I say, there was definitely a, an element of legginess. The one thing I will say that kind of disappointed me a little bit was that having, you know, got the rule changed to five substitutions. Why are we waiting to the 75 minutes to to, to make to make changes? I mean, that's just ludicrous. I mean, Maeda. Made you know one pass in the second half. I mean, really, he could have. Um, he could, hello, <laughs> he could have. Uh, That's my COVID-ridden could... wife. Say hello to the world. <laughs> I told you we were filming. <laughs> no, come on, come and join us. I want to hear what you're going to say about counter-pressing stats. Um, yeah, I, I, you know, Maida could really have come off after after 60 minutes, probably. Hitati had faded quite badly, and he completed 14 passes in the second half. But, you know, his fizz had kind of fizzled out a little bit by that stage. You know, Rogic was having a bad day. Um, you know, so and Forrest, you didn't, how long did you really want to keep James Forrest on, given how long he's been out? Um, you know, Taylor, <laughs> Taylor, <laughs> Taylor was, uh, was uh, you know, I think actually Taylor had a good had a decent game by his numbers, even though it didn't seem like it at the time. Any number of players you could have taken off and, and given at least half an hour if you know to, to others. So that aspect of it really surprised me. It seemed like really poor game management in that respect. And I don't know, I don't understand. I can't give you an answer for why, what the thinking was for keeping the substitutions back so long. Uh, that was the only disappointment for me, really. Mm. James, what about you? Yeah, I, I, um, I mean, some of them you can understand just because of coming back. I mean, you know, for Jota, he may have been on a somewhat of a minutes limit. You know what I mean? He wasn't going to maybe come on for a half hour. Um, who knows you, with Jack Amakis? Again, I'm trying to play devil's advocate and give the be charitable. Um, so maybe Jack Amakis's timeline of recovery, given how long he was out limiting those minutes. I don't know. I mean, that, that those would be the most reasonable, plausible things I can come up with. Um, you didn't it was even nice use to... the five subs. Sorry, Jim, you didn't even well, use right. the five subs. <laughs> so, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, strong it, bench. It, right. It, it, it's, it, I, that's why I said, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to be charitable. Um, I, I don't know. It, it's, I continue to, that's probably, uh, that continues to be my, you know, the <laughs> nexus of Ange's mentality um, towards fitness injuries and player utilization remains my biggest concern for the second half. Meaning that I think we now get a sense of what Maeda is going to do. The idea that he's going to do that twice a week, even for 65 minutes a game and not have potential issues um, either in decline in performance level potentially or uh, injury risk, that kind of thing. I mean, I can I cannot imagine a guy like that does not have higher hamstring <laughs> injury risk with with the amount of, uh, you know, something I cannot relate to, which is fast twitch muscles um, <laughs> in that regard. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it, it seems to be I don't know if it's a blind spot, if what it might be, um, because you, to your point, I mean, it, 
we finally had the bench to, to do it. Maybe, maybe he saw what was going on with the fact that we were maybe not as comfortable, meaning that we were kind of comfortable. We weren't, you know what I mean? Like it, it was sort of on a knife's edge in, in some regard. I mean, I, I could see that, that logic anyway, because of how much mm -hmm. ball, you know, of, of the ball that, uh, that Hibbs was having. Um, so again, I'm, I'm trying to come up with, with, um, theories even though it's an area that i continue to be concerned about yeah it, it could just be the rhythm of the game as well i mean too many subs at one time can often upset the uh the the play and the sort of focus of, of certain players in the game just can before I, I finish can, up, I, we'll get, can uh, I mention something again because of my co my covid uh, brain fog mind it just sprung in and i want to say it before i forget is there any uh was there any word on uh Bitton's availability because that that was probably the most surprising hmm. i hadn't heard anything or read anything about him with an injury or picked up a knock or anything and i think the fact that he was not selected for the bench i thought was pretty interesting relative to mccarthy given who's who had played uh, the bulk of the minutes up until um uh this week so again i i didn't know if anyone had heard anything including commenters anyone watching throw it in the comments uh oh he's back in training today there thank you sean f there we go. Sean F with the, the answers. First, we have Mark Duffy doing my job. Now he's uh, we've got Sean F also doing my job because I probably should have known that coming into this uh, podcast. But uh, before we finish up, we'll, we'll get to some of these comments. Stephen is saying in the uh, in the markets, we shot for defenders. You're bound to end up with players who are prone to er error. The fact that CCV isn't and has made such an impact is a reason to sign him uh, more than more so than Jota. Well, it actually seems like the Jota deal might take a little bit longer than expected. Benfica apparently want to keep him now, but the signs of it and uh, the CCV for me is the is the guy as well that you're going to want to get uh, nailed down to a, a contract before uh, we get Jota over the line. Uh, Sean F., who is coming in away, says that Greg Taylor deserves more discussion than Starfelt. Um, I think we will do a left-back show at some point, but I mean, I've spoken about Liam Scales enough for for most people on this podcast so far, so I, I'm not sure. We, we might wait until further down the line before we get to that. If you're watching on YouTube, do drop a comment before we finish up. We'll try to get to some more. Uh, a couple of games coming up now, very important games after the, obviously, the, the Rangers uh, draw against Aberdeen, thanks to uh, Scott Brown in, in some way, shape or form. Terrific uh, refereeing performance from Brown, I thought. Yes, uh, yes, uh, <laughs> excellent. I, I, we are a show that have never been critical of referees and never will be after that performance. Uh, Alan, but, I, uh, I, I am dying with anticipation for the Yorkshire Whistles uh, decomposition of that match because I want to see how it all balances out because it was oh, a train wreck. It was a vintage Clancy train wreck. Yeah, but the, but the, but the whining is so out of kilter. Oh, I know. The reality of what actually happened. Right. That's the but thing. It's, yeah, I, again, I, I did not see the beginning of of the game I, I i dropped in a little bit late and um so i missed the apparently there was a penalty uh potential incident in the first half that he didn't award uh which would have so i'm, I'm and then i did see most of the rest of the disaster <laughs> so that's why i'm i'm curious to see how it all shakes out yeah. once, uh, it, it, once know, probably, I'm, 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 I'm ruining uh, ender's kind of running time here but just to say uh, i mean that, that, that that's obviously taken all of the uh the airtime but actually what was the most important thing for me was that that was a really bad performance they looked really okay. poor yeah, Aberdeen poor. battered them in the last couple of minutes. Aberdeen, yeah, are, hor Aberdeen are horrible, oh, yeah, by the way. They, but they, 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 they should have scored. Yeah, but they still should have won, yeah, easily. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, there. I, I mean, this is such a transit uh, sort of a weird angle that we're going for here, transition into Aberdeen talk. But the Aberdeen manager was having a go at Jamie McGrath, the Saint Mirren player, for for not signing for him. I'm not sure if you've seen this. Oh, Essentially, no. questioning, saying that uh, you know Aberdeen's not for everybody. They can't take uh, if they can't take the pressure. I was like. Aberdeen are what mid table in the SPFL right now, and I'm watching them. They're they they don't seem to be a team that there's much pressure for playing for at the minute. What's but, uh, what's what's uh, McGrath's nationality? Uh, Irish. Uh, the the yeah. homerism he, again. I knew that answer. He, I asked it to set you up to just show that you're a total homer. Every every guy that's Irish. Here we go again. Give me a break. <laughs> he's the he's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy that's this the behind all these signings that Celtic are making. These kids from the Irish league. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm making things happen. That's that's what's going on. There you go. <laughs> Anyway, that was Desmond's, uh, that was Desmond's a... guy in Ireland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I respond Listen. to Can I respond to Sean real quick, just because he he, he answered my question about Bitten. Um, so uh, Taylor's uh, defensive action OBV was zero. Okay, which is not good for a defender, right? So that that part of his performance was not um, great. But his, to Alan's point, his his passing was top notch. I mean, that the amount of value that he brought with his passing, including that we resulted in the penalty, but it wasn't just that. I mean, it was a lot of the game um, was put, put his overall performance number very, very high as a result. So again, you get lumpy type of performances. You know, so again, if you're a pro Taylor guy, you're going to point to the the passing. If you're an anti Taylor guy, you're going to say, well, he didn't do that well defensively. Uh, ultimately, probably both right. It's a question of um, how it all kind of shakes out. So I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it was a, it was just the weirdest game, right? Taylor, I thought I noticed when I was watching the game live, I noticed the sort of t- couple of times he was out of position, and then when he dived in and, and, and created that dangerous moment in the second half, and then missed missed Cadden. He actually by miles had the highest packing score of any player. Yeah. He was the only one over 100. He's 124. Right, Rogic, who I thought had an awful game and just just screwed up over and over and over again, had the highest expected scoring contribution of any player. It was just a weird game. It really was weird. Yep. Yeah. Come on, so, we'll move on. Sorry. I actually, yeah, <laughs> I, I I actually do have training uh, of my own at seven o'clock. So we'll we'll rally through this last bit. Um, cup game this weekend against a lower level opposition. What are you doing if you're Ange Postacoglu? Are you making wholesale changes in this game, getting Julian some some game time potentially, Jack Amakis maybe giving him a start, seeing what's happening, or are you a manager that's going for momentum? I, I think you rotate responsibly. Um, so maybe give, if he's up to it again, so this goes back on what I just said a short while ago. I mean, it depends on fitness levels that that to me is the utmost importance So, if, if guys aren't ready to put in, uh, uh, you know, at least 45 minutes to get them to halftime, um, you, you wouldn't start them. Uh, so depending on whether Julian's up for that, I mean, you would think given the situation, I mean, I don't know, this is an away game, right? I mean, it's, I have no idea what their pitches or if it's small or, um, you know, what the dimensions are, that kind of thing. But you would think for a center back, it's not going to be that taxing of a game. Um, So maybe that comes into it. But uh, yeah, I I think reasonably rotate, uh, maybe get Idaguchi in for a start, um, uh, you know, that kind of thing over maybe 
you know, first cup game, Scottish Cup game, so maybe they don't want to uh, bench the captain. But you know that that kind of thing where you, you give guys a break because we, we need to rotate. We're gonna have to rotate. So what better time than the present to start that? You know that that habit um, and and doing it in a smart way uh, to get guys rest. Yeah. So the 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 indoor drill stadium, um, it's actually <laughs> it's actually a pretty short pitch, but it's it's pretty wide. It's not seventy five yards, is same as Celtic Park. Um, it's it's a it's a three it's an artificial pitch, right? So okay. I I, I don't think we'll be risking people who potentially you know like Julian. I just don't see that he'll he'll be playing in that game. That makes sense then. Yeah, yeah. I think to me it's a it's a it's it's not an overall. It's it's I think it's looking across the squad and saying who needs minutes and, and and this is a suitable game for them to get minutes versus who needs a bit of momentum. So for example, Taylor and Forrest might be good good candidates to start again. Um, you know, um Hatati and Maeda might be good candidates to start again, but only give them sixty minutes type of thing. Whereas, you know, some players who need game time uh may maybe like so why would you play um, McGregor over you know, Idiguchi, right? That would that to me wouldn't make any sense, right? That would be an obvious change to make. Um, you'd, you'd be careful with Jota again because of artificial pitch. So I think I think you need to look through the squad and make a bit of an individual decision based on what's the state of the pitch, who needs minutes, who 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 can we start and what and then take off, etc. It's going to be a bit of a horses for courses, isn't that? I would I would imagine. I, I, the one I'd like to see, I think. I'd like to see Mikey Johnston just because um, he, he looks like a guy, you know, again, Mr. Analytics here. He looks like a guy who could use some confidence. Um, so, you know, maybe give him a, a game against a lower league team and hope that he has a good game and maybe scores a goal <laughs> would be nice uh, and and kind of boost that confidence because he should be, you know, miles above the, the opposition as far as level. Um, yeah. So I'd, I'd like to see him get at least meaningful time if he doesn't start. Yeah, I mean they're they're eighth out of ten in League One, right? So my, my hometown team, Falkirk, who are horrible this season, are, are are even are even above them. So they're not going to be a great side. No. So hopefully we will see some some minutes for players who haven't got minutes, and uh, hopefully they'll be coming out of this game in time for Tynecastle fit and ready for what is an absolutely crucial game for Celtic because that gap is narrowing. James Allen, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. All right. My thanks to the people who are commenting on the YouTube channel. If you want to get us on podcasts, it's on Spotify and iTunes. And if you want to follow us on YouTube, it's Breakdown Inc. Subscribe to the channel below and like the video so more people can see them. We will have a Matt O'Reilly video on the channel as well tomorrow when and uh, if and when that uh, signing is announced. So keep, uh, keep an eye out for that. And hopefully... We will see a Celtic win this weekend as well. Thanks for watching, folks. We'll chat to you later. Good luck.